Welcome back. You heard the voice of my guest for the rest of this show. The show is an abbreviated show. It'd be over at 6.30, so you can listen to the Blackhawks game. Uh, John Gorman is a, a former newspaper man. I, I wonder, John, <laughs> it's not like being a Marine. I mean, my father was a Marine. You can't. You never say former Marine. We do say former newspaper man, don't we? Sure, especially if you went on to other things. Yeah, you did go on to other things. Yeah. Take me back into your career before we get into this, because you'll be on all the way to 630, and I love this book. It's titled Death Before Life. It's a Mike Halloran detective novel, and if that implies that there are other Mike Halloran detective novels, not yet is my answer to you. Uh, how do you get into the newspaper business? Well, a neighbor of mine had worked in City News Bureau when I was... Uh, trying to get into the business he put in a word for me at city news and i stayed there for uh, about a year and a half and i cold called bill jones the city editor of the uh, tribune when i couldn't get an interview with us at the daily news and i asked him if i could uh, come over and talk to him about a job he said what time wow so i came in the next morning at 9 a.m yes and, of course you did and uh, uh jones looked at my resume and he said you started college in 62, and you finished in 68. What took you so long? <laughs> and I said, well, I was thrown out of school after my sophomore year, so I had a little time off. And he said, ah, no kidding. What for? And I said, well, got in a fight after the Xavier Marquette basketball game. <laughs> Made the AP. Xavier didn't like that. That and, would some have appealed to Bill Jones. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and Jones was an ex-Marine, and yep. I learned later that Jones – was also thrown out of UWM, yeah. University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, for getting into a fight when he was a student there. Why did you, Jim? Why did you want to be a reporter? City News Bureau, for those of you who don't know or remember, was a, a training ground for journalists. They supplied news to the papers when there were four newspapers running in this town, and they used them, and there's some great alums of that uh, vaunted institution, including my dad. Uh, what made you want to be a reporter? Well, kind of my mother, in many ways. When I was out of school there, when I was 20, she said, what do you want to do with get your life, jo Johnny? She said, get a job, Johnny. Well, yeah. that was part of it, but she wanted to know long-term <laughs> what I wanted to do. And I said, eh, I don't know. And she said, look, why don't we get newspapers. I, I do yeah. this. So she said, why don't you be a, a journalist? You, you're a good writer. And I said, yeah, well, maybe. Five years later, I'm in India trying to figure out what I'm going to do after I'm out of the Peace Corps. And I was talking to a friend of mine, and he was thinking about going to Northwestern, to Medill. Huh. And so I started thinking about, hey, it'd be kind of cool to be a foreign correspondent. <laughs> <laughs> Me and 10 million yeah, other yeah, people you, yeah, who have exactly. written professionally. Exactly, exactly. And so I, uh, I uh, came back, and I... Uh, I went to journalism school for just a semester and then got a job at City News. Well, that's great. That's great. What, what made your mother think you were a good writer? Did you do a lot of writing as a kid or your mother just trying to force you into something? Well, uh, that's another story. My father in 1935 was 21 years old in the heart of the Depression, and he had a, uh, he'd never gotten further than his freshman year in high school. And he wrote a letter to the city editor of the Daily News asking for a job. And the editor wrote him a letter back saying, thank you very much for your interest. We have no openings at this time. And I never knew that until after both of my parents were dead. And oh. I was going through a trunk, and I found this letter. Wow. And I thought, 
well, my mother, the sneak that she was, and manipulative as she was, <laughs> and clever as she was, she thought, well, <laughs> why don't you do what your father wanted to do? <laughs> so I did. Wow. That's saying, where'd you grow up? I grew up uh, right around Granville and uh, Glenwood, right near the two blocks west of the Granville L Station. Okay, You're north Edgewater, side. North Side, Saint Gertrude's Parish for you, North Side. So you Catholics went. To, you went to the Tribune. Were you a General Simon reporter at first? Um, initially, I was hired to be Jack Mabley's leg man. Wow, uh, Jack Mabley. For those of you, there are a lot of you out there who remember Jack Mabley, but he was a a, a big time columnist, as they say here. Yeah. Jack was a wonderful man, yeah, so just I a wonderful it, yeah. man. Um, so I worked for him for eight months, and it was a lot of fun because he he said, what do you want to do? And then he asked me about my life, and I was bartending. So he said, write, a story, write me notes on bartending down in Old Town. So, so far, I, this is a charm newspaper career, I'll tell you that. <laughs> So I wrote for I wrote for Jack for eight months, and then I got thrown on midnights for three years, where yeah. I uh, did a lot of cops and fire. And sure, then I got off that, and uh, pretty soon John Gacy came up, and I was the mm-hmm. point man for the Tribune out at the scene. Yep, in the cold, and then after that, I did uh, did a ta- investigative task force thing uh, called Growing Old in America, mm. and after that, I went up to. Uh, Bernie Judge, the city editor, and said, you know, I'd like to be a foreign correspondent. It's always been my dream, Bernie. (laughs) And Bernie said, listen, kid, I think think we could use an assistant city editor working nights. Bernie was a great guy, too. He was a great guy, and and he was right. And uh, so I went to work for the next five years as as an assistant city editor, wound up the day city editor before I convinced the Tribune to let me do a series on the Peace Corps. By going back to South Asia, and so in a way, you you invented a new role, a foreign correspondent. Yes, role. I did. Yeah. I, my my, <laughs> my own boondoggle, but not a full time correspondent. So I got back, wrote that, and then I uh, went to work for the business section. Business section. After that, I went to uh, cover the federal building for three years, which was very interesting. Uh, made great contacts, but long, hard hours. Oh yeah. I was just starting a family, and so after my three-year stint, I they offered various opportunities, and one of them was to go out to the suburbs. And I said, "That sounds really good with a seven-minute commute, same yeah. amount of pay, right? Right, less, less glory, but that was okay." And I did that until I uh, uh, left in two thousand. What'd you leave to do? Because you bring one of the. I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that that many there's a cliche that every newspaper man has the makings of a novel or a book buried in the in the files of their of their desk along with a bottle of bourbon usually uh and very few and i've been in this business a long time very few of those people are able to realize that dream to make manifest the pages and notes and book john has this book uh, death before life uh is alive with his knowledge not only of the city but the inner workings of cops, courts, reporters, and lawyers. Well, his son is in here. One of his son, son is in here. He's a lawyer, uh, and I'm sure if I asked him, he'd say, "My God, that book is fantastic." But it, <laughs> but it, I don't know if that makes a novel easier to write. But but when did this book? 
John, you left the Tribune to do what? I left the Tribune to be uh, the press secretary for the state's attorney's office for Dick Devine. Yeah. And uh, that was in the June of 2000. A very good guy. I like yeah. Dick Devine. He was uh, my ride to school when I was a sophomore in high school. We lived a block apart. You're kidding. No. You go that far. See, this is this is a real Chicagoan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is a real Chicagoan. And that's like that's like uh, Richard M. Daly riding to law school with Ed Burke. Uh, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, so it was easy. To, it was fun to work for Dick Devine? It was fun. It was uh, it, it was a new role to see the other side. Yeah, I'll and, bet. I'll and, bet. But what it did for a print guy, it made me realize that there was a lot of really sharp television and radio reporters out there. Did it really? Yeah. Well, those were in the days when there probably were some, actually. Oh, there were. I mean, Paul Meinke and, and Phil Rogers. And, mm-hmm. I mean, there's all the BBM people were were pros, and uh, you know, West Bleed and WGN. I mean, it, it was. Yeah. It, I had to learn how to. Deal with them. How not to lie to them, yeah, because they'd find out. Well, <laughs> I never lied, but I never told the whole truth. <laughs> that's a good way. That's a good way to be. And how long did you work uh, for the state's attorney's office? Doing I left that? at the end of two thousand nine. Okay, so you know, eight year, maybe close to a decade. Just about. Yeah. And you decided that's it. I retire. No. Then I went to work for Maryville. Sister Kathy Ryan had been the head of the Juvenile Bureau in the state's attorney's office, and she went to Maryville a couple years before before that. And so she was looking for a communications director, and Maryville had gotten some bad press uh, years before. Yeah, so that's I went right. out there and straightened used, them out. Well, what I did was I used my contacts with the media to tell good stories as opposed to being on defense when I was on the state's attorney's office. Sure, I would say we got this story about this little girl who took the bus, took two buses every day to get her high school degree, and she was from a broken family, and, you know, there was some great stories. Well, you knew, having been on the other side, you knew how to pitch a story. Sure. Uh, No question about what reporters were looking for, and... uh, that made your job a lot easier. When you finally decided to retire, I guess that's the word, mm-hmm. uh, why? Well, I just kind of retired last March. I was working for some law firms after Maryville, doing PR for them. And then uh, last November or so, I did a, a press conference, and I was running back and forth. and. You know, I'm 78. And I, I, said, I'm I, don't, get, I don't like to do a said, lot of running. Minute, I'm going to get COVID or something. Yeah. I mean, you were doing so, this. So during- I didn't need the money. <clears throat> so I, I said, thanks, guys. It's been great working for you. And all the law firms were very nice. This book, however, uh, Death Before Life, started many, many years ago, did it not? It did. When did you first write this book or first make an attempt to write a novel? I started writing this right after the clemency hearings that were held in the uh, fall of 2002 when all the death row inmates uh, had clemency hearings that that George Ryan Ryan. put on. And uh, and that was a very, despite my years of John Gacy and knocking on doors and introducing myself to the people who just lost their son or daughter, that was two weeks of talking to victims who survived a little girl who was stabbed 47 times and survived and her mother and sister and aunt were killed 
guy killed five people, and she testified against him. And and I was she was crying in the interview beforehand, and I'm holding her hand. And I'm, oh God! So it was very searing. And oh, uh, I'll bet. So I thought this and is you need a release. Yeah. So I, I started using some of that, and then got going as a as a. Uh, and then I thought I had to think of what's the hook, and so I killed the state's attorney's daughter in the lead in, in near near where i used near where i grew up yeah that's what he said i gotta get i gotta get some relief here i'm gonna kill someone i'm not gonna kill him in person i'm gonna kill him on print <laughs> and i must tell you ladies and gentlemen any book uh and again the title of this book is death before life any book that has in it's one two three four five six on the eighth line of this book the old town alehouse uh is a book you just simply can't put down. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Uh, John Gorman and I will will talk about the book at length. Uh, it is divided into sort of three sections. The kill, the chase, the court. It also could be, a subtext could be, when I became a foreign correspondent, because he does go international here. We'll talk to John uh, after the news. Welcome back. Uh, John Gorman's uh, first novel, Death Before Dying. I know this is the first of what should be many. This one is a Mike Halloran detective novel. Mike Halloran's a very compelling character and a very cool, interesting, tough guy. He dedicates the book to my lovely wife and steadfast partner, 40-plus years, Janice. His son is sitting here. His son's an attorney. Uh, as you know, John, I love this book, not just because the alehouse is mentioned on the <laughs> first chapter. It is, it is one of those books that is set in Chicago, but its author, John Gorman, does not beat you over the head with his you know, vast knowledge of Chicago. There are many books written by... Chicago authors or would-be Chicago authors that just lay it on way too thick. But you did. I mean, you lived uh, the, many of the places in this book. But you also, you know, just to check yourself when you, you, you drove around to make sure things were the way you remembered them, right? Absolutely. The, the, the photographs on the cover, or the, the front and back cover, we're taken at the intersection of where the murder takes place. Yep. At least yep. The back I, cover is is under the L tracks at Grace uh, Grace Street. <laughs> well, the book, well, you really you live out your foreign correspondent fantasy here because <laughs> Halloran. Well, first of all, the the I don't want to again, just like with Lisa's book, I don't want to give too much away. There's a murder of a young, uh, beautiful woman named Jennifer Cavaretti. Her father happens to be who. The state attorney of Cook County. Which makes it a real heater case, as they say. Absolutely. The uh, main suspect, the person of interest in this caper, is an unbelievably nasty guy. I mean, you have created there uh, a real monster. Uh, his name is Eric Peterson, who happens to be the name of a kid I went to school with. It's <laughs> another small world kind of thing. Uh, is he ba- is he a, a, a composite of a bunch of people you know? But he is a really nasty guy. Yeah, it is. It is a composite. It's not uh, any one pa- any one particular person, and it's uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 not one person. Yeah, because if it. it 
What about the, what about the reporter? There's a reporter in there. Because uh, yeah. I'm thinking that many of your former colleagues who go, hey, you modeled that on me. That's me. Are you hearing some of that? Well, I'll tell you, the, the reporter named Frank uh, is Frank Main, the Sun-Times reporter. He's a great reporter. He's a terrific <laughs> reporter. Yeah. Maybe certainly the best police reporter in Chicago these days, in my opinion. Sure. But um, he's a guy I dealt with a lot in the state attorney's office. So when I have him, there's an interplay between the detective Halloran and uh, and Frank back and forth and they've they've got this this understanding of yes, terms. Yes, no, that that is so perfectly captured because you know, I've known great police reporters too over the years and you so capture that well. You don't give too much information to him, but you will lead him in the right direction sometimes. Uh there's also uh what about Halloran? He must be a kind of a person of different parts of people you've known and admired. Well, Mike Halloran is basically me. I mean, he's oh, wow. six foot five and a half. I'm six foot seven and a half. He played football at Purdue. I played basketball Michael at Xavier. Michael Halloran is me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was easy, easy to uh, put myself in his shoes. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. You said when you first you you started this book to pull yourself out of some 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 real life misery mm. that you were dealing with. Uh, how did you find it, John? As a former reporter, we have all write generally short stories. It is a vastly that's why so many of those books that I mentioned before that sit in reporters' desks never get done, because I think people underestimate what it takes to write a novel. Right. Did you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, my first 195 words uh, were, uh, uh, weren't real good, but I, I read a lot of Michael Conley's books, uh, mm-hmm. the Bosch character. I've read a lot of Nelson DeMille Back sure. in the day, Lawrence Sanders. Most recently, uh, I wrote, I read a, a Mary Higgins Clark, and her chapters are about a page and a half. I know that's the thing. You know who's? I think Patterson, James Patterson, really invented or made that the the norm. Yeah. I think. And this one too. There, how many chapters are in there? Like a hundred? Hold on, hold on. I, I think fifty-seven. Right Is that all? Yeah. Wait, there's an epilogue. There's an epilogue. There's an epilogue. 57 chapters in an epilogue. Chapter 56 is about 15 lines. Yeah. Uh, did that make it easier for you to, to do it in that fashion? Um, it made it harder to do the editing because I had chapters that just went on too long. And I mean, I took I took out chapters and just threw them over my shoulder and pretended they did, never, never existed. Just stuff that was police procedural that I thought was interesting. But it was just too verbose. I mean, I'm not... I'm not kindly. I can't write 400 pages and expect people to read it. So mine's well, cheap, much not, shorter. Not until you become a best-selling author, then you can. Just, well, there we go. You can expand <laughs> off that. Have you done your? And again, I'm I'm telling you people that this is an incredibly uh, dramatic, uh, powerful narrative. I don't want to give away too much. I've already told you the bad guy, Eric Peterson, is really bad. And Mike uh, Halloran has to go track him down, uh, allowing John Gorman to play his part of a foreign correspondent and <laughs> uh, and foreign police officer too. He tracks him down in India. That's a that's a wonderful part of the book. You must have loved that. That was fun, and the recollections of that uh, when I was in uh, the Peace Corps in India, we had 
a lot of uh, vacation time. And one of the trips I took was to Darjeeling up in the Himalayas. And it was such a vivid experience for me that I had no trouble at all. Had you been writing. back since? I had, I went back in 85 when I did my Peace Corps series oh, for the okay, Tribune. Because it's, it's really, I mean, I, if you're trusting your memory from, you know, 50 years ago, you've really got some memory. Uh We'll take one more break, and then we'll come back and talk to uh, John Gorman more about uh, Death Before Life and about his life. Uh, You don't have a – he has no website of his own, but uh, other writers will tell you, you've got to have a website. You've got to have a website. Uh, And also, you've got to get – have you appeared at uh, Centuries and Sluice yet? Augie Alexi's incredible bookstore? I've not, but I've been recommended to oh. call him by uh, Jim Elsner, my first Great. editor. And Bob Goldsboro Sr. is out yeah. there all the time. Right. Augie's a very big promoter of books, and this is so up his alley. We will be back in a couple minutes. Thank you, Krista Flores, telling me to go on that I have a radio show and that I should be talking to people. And Brett Jackson back there doing the same, and uh, Andrew Harris is producing this thing. Uh Here's a here's a nice little. As I said, the book is divided into three parts: the kill, the chase, and the court. And uh, it's just a very short thing that I'll read you from John Gorman's Death Before Life, uh, without giving away anything, because this is a book you have to be careful about uh, talking about, because you you don't want the whole story. You want to read the whole story. Hours later, this is during the trial section. Uh, hours later, the Cavarettas, those are the parents of the girl who was slain, sat mostly silent as they dined in a rear table at Tefano's in Little Italy, just ten minutes from the courthouse. Joyce Cavaretta broke the silence after turning down the waiter's suggestion for tiramisu for dessert. Will we ever feel we've gotten justice for our baby, even if this jury convicts? She asks. Cavarosa hesitated a moment, then whispered to his wife, We will get a conviction, I have no doubt. But justice, never as long as that man lives. I am not going to tell you how this book ends. But again, Death Before Life is a wonderful, wonderful read. And in Mike Halloran, who is based, John is not loath to base the guy on himself. That's great. His son is sitting like, well, is this a composite of people? And John's like, no, it's me. It's, it's me. It's a, little, it's a little shorter than I am, but in real life, but it, it's me. Uh, there's some gruesome things that happen in this book, uh, John. But you must be, it must have been a, a joyful thing for you to write some of this. You must have, as a writer and a reporter, in a sense, writing a novel is you bring a lot of repertorial skills to the page. Was that a joy for you? Yeah, it was. Um, there's incidents in the book that, that happened to me. There's an incident where Halloran gets into an elevator with a, a young guy who talks about how tall he is, and they exchange mm-hmm. A conversation, and, yeah. and they both laugh. And it's a little awkward, but they both laugh, and he gets off. Um, that happened to me, and I thought, yeah, I can use this, you know. And it had nothing to do with the plot. The guy was going up in the elevator, but I thought, I can, I can squib this in. 
And there's stuff I just plagiarize from friends of mine just shamelessly. <laughs> Good. They don't care. As long as they buy the book. Absolutely. As long as they buy the book. Yeah. Uh, the, what have you, when you first got this in your hands, when it came by mail or however it came to you, how did you react to that? And it must, that must have been a very exciting moment. Almost like you didn't see it at City News Bureau, but almost like seeing your first byline. It, it, was, it was very much like that. But what they, the publisher said to me, he says, here's, here's a hard copy now. You have to read it and find out, find mistakes. And <laughs> that's nice. Well, yeah. you know, he was trying to protect me, and yeah. thank God because he, uh, I found, I went through it again, and I found some mistakes in the prototype. And then my wife found an egregious mistake before I hit the sun button, and wow. she saved me. Wow! Once was again, it some libelous thing, or, or well, just I a- got. I got the law school admission test score way off. That, <laughs> and, and with two, two two children who were uh, attorneys, and oh, there's a lot a lot of attorneys reading this book. It would have been a little embarrassing to see the the, uh, the wrong have, kind of score in there. What have you heard from former colleagues and friends about the book? I've uh, I've gotten really good uh, feedback uh, from uh, judges that I respect. Uh, I've, Judge Kokoris, who was sure, uh, sure. my my favorite judge in the federal building, uh, he wrote a book and he read mine and said he enjoyed it. And then we met and exchanged horror stories, horror stories that we have walked through in our lives since the first time I met him in 1973. Oh, wow. God help me. Wow. wow. Yeah. What did your kids think of it? And the one son sitting here who is a state's attorney? Well, I think they they thought it's about time it got published because <laughs> it's sad. Dad, what are you doing? Drive. <laughs> exactly, you're retired. Get it out. So yeah, I think uh, you know Mike was very supportive and helped edit it in its early stages. You, did it empower you to the point where you decided and told your lovely wife, "Hey, leave me alone. I'm going to go write another book now." I mean. Yeah. Because it's got to be, it's got to be, John, John Gorman, incredibly empowering to put this together. I know what I know how hard it is to write a book, and it is hard. Yeah, yeah, it 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 was. I mean, it it's. I liken it to giving birth because I know it's painful. I watched my wife give birth to both of our children, but uh, you know when you go through and you're editing yourself. You see the mistakes and clumsy sentences, and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. oh, it was it was hard. Sure. But once I got to the final end and 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 read the the published version, I was you know pretty happy. And then I was really kind of uh, surprised at the reaction of so many people that I just contacted through Facebook and LinkedIn. Yeah, and. Have there been reviews? You know, one of the problems in, with with writing books in this day and age is there are no book sections anymore. There's, it's very hard to get the word out. That's why I mentioned Augie Alexi, who's a genius at doing this. Uh, have you done any appearances? Well, I did a book signing at uh, the uh, Theater on the Lake restaurant about a month ago, and I had a nice turnout for that and sold, um, you know, 20 or 30 books. And, that's pretty uh, good. That's um, good. That, trust me, that's good. Yeah, I was, I was happy, you know, and, and Amazon didn't get a share of that. That's right. <laughs> yes, you can get the book at all the conventional uh, 
websites. And again, the title is Death Before Life. And I guarantee you, the next time John is on the show to talk about his next book, he'll say, well, Rick, use my uh, website. It's johngorman.com or johngorman.net or johngorman.whatever.edu or something. Uh I did ask you, are, are, any notions of another one? You've created a great character here. And well, you've got also the city of Chicago as a foundation. Right. Well, my next book is, uh, without giving too much away, because it's going to happen very early in the book, is going to be the female protagonist, Halloran's partner. Yeah. Her daughter is a student at, at Latin school, and she gets abducted by a bad guy. And then the chase begins. Wow, I was a student at Latin school. I, this is Jen. You're following my life. Here. I know. This is there's so much. There's so much of me in your work. It's, it's a, I should sue you or something. Uh, who took these pictures on the book? The, I took you, them myself. You did? Yeah. This is your idea. I, I think it's brilliant. It's a no. Bit, the 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 publisher said we need something sinister. Why don't you shoot up through the trees or something like that? And so I did that, and then. The back cover is, uh, I thought, was really sinister looking, which was shooting the under uh, belly of the, the L track. Yeah, uh, this really, this really is Chicago. Uh, one of our mutual friends, uh, Lynette Myers, was her name when she was a reporter, and she is now Lynette Burden. Uh, she was a foreign correspondent too, something John aspired to. Uh, she calls this a fast-paced detective thriller. Courtroom scenes vividly capture the drama and trauma of real-life violent crime. Lynette's doing well. I haven't seen her in ages. She is. She worked for me at the state's attorney's office. She was Dick Devine's uh, uh, speechwriter. <laughs> this is the smallest. This studio is like the <laughs> smallest world in the. In, in, in this world uh i'm pleased for you and you um, must be very very pleased too i am i'm i'm, I'm happy and i uh, and being on this show is going to give me something to give my two and a half year old granddaughter to remember me by because by the time she's old enough to appreciate it i don't know if i'm oh, going to be around stop, stop. i know that's what my daughter says Man, I'm, looking, I'm looking at his son mike going what are you talking about stop this stop that stop that stop that uh again it is death before life it is the first of what i hope is a lengthy series of mike halloran detective novels he john gorman is Mike Halloran. He may be a little old to play him in the movie. You think? A little. Maybe his son can do it. His son, the <laughs> lawyer. Uh, thank you all for listening. I will, as I said, thanks uh, Krista Flores and Brett Jackson and Andrew Harris. And I will be, God help me, filling in for John Williams on Thursday. But I will also be back here with a full show next Sunday. Uh, what do you think of the studio? Very snazzy. <laughs> snazzy is the word. <laughs> snazzy is the word I use when I try to convince people to drive in here. I go, yeah, you might want to come. If you can drive, it would be nice to see you in person. And the studios are very snazzy, and the people who work here are very, very nice. So the is there a Blackhawks pregame, or is the game? Wow, the game starts right now? Well, those of you who were, who were dulled by the Bears, uh, it is time for... The Blackhawks. Take care of yourselves. See ya.